Grace and peace to you friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1 Episode 49. Thank you so so much. I appreciate you joining me today and uh, especially for the 49th episode. That is just fantastic. I can't believe it. We are almost to 50. Um, so awesome. Give yourself a round of applause because Listening to and reading the encyclopedia is very hard. It's not an easy task. So just give yourself a round of applause. And I want to thank uh, any new listeners. Uh, if you are a new listener, you may be wondering, what are you talking about? What is the Encyclopedia Challenge? Well, the Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the encyclopedia to you. We read from a main source, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And we also have another source of uh, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. In fact, we are going to start with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 today with our first and second words. Uh, but before we begin, I just want to uh, remind you today is January 23rd, 2022. And uh, we do have a monthly quote by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Whatever you think you can do or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. And I got to thinking, you know, uh, I'm giving you a bunch of monthly quotes. I choose them. Uh, so maybe you don't like some of these monthly quotes. I like them, especially this one. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the new year and everyone doing resolutions, which I still have not done. <laughs> and I've decided, I, I've just decided I'm not going to do it, but I digress. But I was thinking, you know, what if there's a quote that you would like to be considered as the monthly quote? If that is so, if, if you've got a favorite quote by someone that is maybe not even on my radar or maybe someone I've almost selected, just there are tons of people, millions and millions of people dead, alive, half one foot in the grave <laughs> and the other, that have wonderful sayings. Um, so if that is the case, if you have a quote, that you want to be considered, I uh, just send me an email. Uh, my email address is mandyoaks at protonmail.com or you can contact me via my contact sheet at theoaktreejourneys.com. In fact, if you want to know how any of these words are spelled or if you've missed any of the previous podcasts and you want to maybe listen on a different format, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge. Again, this is Season 1, Episode 49, or S1 forward slash E49. Uh, or you can go to Podcasts and select your, your podcast that you like. Okay, so without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and get into this. Our first five words are Algoma, Algoma, Algona, comma, Iowa, Algonquian System, and Algonquian Stock. Alright, so as I mentioned, we are beginning with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So our first Algoma is a district in, district in Ontario, Canada, in the north-central section of the province on Lake Superior and the North Channel. I almost said Chanel. <laughs> but no, North Channel. The chief resources are iron, copper, lead, and gold. The transportation center is Salt St. Marie, the di district seat, 
Area is 19,320 square miles. Population in 1941, so of course this has changed, but the population in 1941 was 52,002. Yeah, 52,002. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Alright, and our second entry, sorry about that, is Algoma again. And again, we are in the Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Algoma City, Wisconsin. So we were in Canada and now we're in the U.S. In Kewanee County. It is situated at an altitude of 600 feet on Lake Michigan at the mouth of the Anape River, 28 miles east of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and is on the Anape and Western Railway. The first settlement was made north of the river in 1851. The town was known as Wolf River, oh that's pretty cool, until 1859 and as Anape until 1897. So it was Wolf River and then Anape and then it was incorporated in 1879 and the principal manufacturers are plywood and veneer and there is considerable fishing and agricultural activity. It has the mayor Aldermonte form of government. Population in 1950 is only 3,382. There's that two at the end again. Okay, our third entry is from the Encyclopedia, I'm sorry, not the Encyclopedia Americana, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And that is Algona, Iowa. So we're in the U.S. City and county seat of Kossuth County on the Iowa center chicago and northwest and chicago m and street p r r about 120 okay i'm not sure what that's saying um let me try this one again algona iowa is a city and county seat of Kossuth county on the iowa center chicago and northwest and chicago m and street p r r about, so I'm thinking railroads maybe, about 123 miles north by west of Des Moines, on a branch of the Des Moines River. The city has four banks, handsome public buildings, and flourishing manufacturers of foundry and machine shop products, woodenware, bricks, and tiles, population 3,000. So there we go. Uh, sorry, it took, took a minute. All right, and our fourth entry is again from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and that is Algonquian System. And again, if you need to know how these are spelled, because they are kind of pronounced weird, I'll just go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge, and you'll see all of the words we've been over so far, and all of the spellings of those words. Okay, and that is the name given in the United States to a great series of rocks that succeeds the basal system of the Archaean and is overlaid by the strata of the Paleozoic system. Paleozoic system. The rocks of the Algonquian system are developed on an enormous scale in the Lake Superior region, where they comprise limestones, sandstones, quartzites, shells, slates, and schists, all more or less disturbed and bearing evidence of having been subjected to metamorphism. They also include dikes and beds of igneous rocks and great copper and iron ore deposits, which are among the richest in the world. 
A few fossil remains have been found, but little is known as to the life conditions during the Algonquian period. Okay, and our fifth entry is going to be from both the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So let me grab something to drink real quick before I get into it, because it is rather lengthy uh, in both encyclopedias. Our fifth entry is Algonquian or Algonquian stock, which is a North American group once comprising 40 or more separate languages and embracing a larger area than any other on the continent, stretching in a solid block from Labrador to the Rockies and from Hudson's Bay to Pamlico Sound and the Cumberland River, at least except the enclaves of Iroquois in and around New York State and of Biothkin in Newfoundland. Outlying tribes were the Shawnee or Shawano to the south and to the west the Cheyenne and Arapaho, which clove their way through the heart of the Sioux across the Missouri and into the Black Hills region and later to Colorado and Wyoming, their advance westward being checked by the Shoshone group. They numbered several hundred tribes or villages entirely independent, many in which several such villages were grouped together and several confederacies of tribes united in a loose bond for mutual aggression or defense, though never with any real central government. The chief confederacies were the Abnaki or Abenaki of the Maine and New Brunswick, the Penacook of New Hampshire and the adjacent parts of Maine and Massachusetts, the Powhatan of Virginia and Maryland, the Illinois or Illini of that region and adjacent Wisconsin, Iowa, and Missouri, the Siksika, Blackfeet, etc., of northern Montana and adjacent Canada, the Cheyenne and Arapaho, already mentioned, and the Sac and Fox, first at the mouth of the Ottawa, then in northern Wisconsin. See each title. Of the individual tribes, the most important remaining were the Micmac, Amlicite, Massacusset, Wimponag, Nisit, Nipmuc, Bacoy, Mohegan, Mohican, Matoic, and Wappinger on the North Atlantic coast. Muncie, Lenny Lenape, or Delaware, Shawano, Nanatecoke, Kanoi, Matamuskeet on the South Atlantic coast. Nescapi, Montaginias, Aliquin, Ottawa, Muskegon, Cree, Ojibwa, Masaga, Miami, Piancasha, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Minamini in the interior, and Atsina in the west. Tradition places the original home of all these tribes in the North Atlantic coast. From their being the first to come in contact with the English settlers and the history of English settlement for two centuries, being a steady record of fierce conflict and bloody reprisals from and on them, more is known of their minor names and those of their great chiefs. Powhatan, Opechanok, Nogwa, Philip, Pontiac, Tecumseh, Black Hawk, etc., than any others except the Iroquois, and their languages are better studied. Constant wars with the English, French, and Dutch colonists depleted their numbers. Filled at first with the idea of freeing the soil from the whites, they afterward degenerated into mere mercenaries, fighting on either side for revenge or gain. After the War of 1812, in which they took the side of the British, 
the United States government resolved to send them as far west as possible. After 1840, few of them remained east of the Mississippi. In Canada, they were not removed from their homes, but were limited as to territory. War and disease have thinned their number until only about 40,000 remain in the United States and 38,000 in Canada. There are a few hundred refugees in Mexico. Okay, and let's go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 to read about it. And it's Algonquin or Algonquian stock, a North American linguistic group once comprising 40 or more separate languages and embracing a larger area than any other on the continent. So far, similar. Stretching in a solid block from Labrador to the Rockies and from Hudson Bay to Pamlico Sound and the Cumberland River at least, except the enclaves of Iroquois in the St. Lawrence Valley and the eastern Great Lakes region and of Beothokan in Newfoundland. Outlying tribes were the Shawnee or Shawano to the south and to the west the Cheyenne and Arapaho, which clove their way. So there's cloving in. Uh, so this could be out of the uh, same book, actually, through the heart of the Sioux, across the Missouri, and into the Black Hills regions and later to Colorado and Wyoming. They advanced westward being checked by the Shoshone group. They numbered several hundred tribes or villages, entirely independent. So, so basically, they took their source, it sounds like, from the exact same, same source. Or their information from the exact same source. And many in which several such villages were grouped together, and several confederacies of tribes united in a loose bond for mutual aggression or defense, though never any with, with any real central government. The chief confederacies were the Abnaki or Abenaki of Maine and New Brunswick, the Penacook of New Hampshire, and the adjacent parts of Maine and Massachusetts, the Powhatan of Virginia and Maryland, the Illinois or Illini of that region and adjacent Wisconsin, Iowa and Missouri, the Siksaka, Blackfeet and others of northern Montana and adjacent Canada, the Cheyenne and Arapaho, already mentioned, see, exact same wording, and the Sac and Fox, first at the mouth of the Ottawa, then in northern Wisconsin. Of the individual tribes, the most important remaining were the Micmac, Amlicite, Massachusetts, Wimponeg, Narragansett, Nipmuc, Quat, Mohegan, Mohican, Matoic, and Wappinger in the North Atlantic coast, Muncie, Lenny Lenape, or Delaware, Shawana, I'm sorry, Shawano, Nanticoke, Kanoi, Matter Muskeet on the South Atlantic coast, Escapi, Montigane, Alquin, Ottawa, Muskegon, Cree, Ojibwa, Mistomi, Menomini in the interior, and Atsina in the west. Tradition places the original home of all these tribes in the North Atlantic coast, as they were the first to come in contact within, with the European settlers in Canada, New England, New York, New Jersey, and Virginia, the history of European settlement for two centuries being a steady record of fierce conflict with and bloody reprisals from and on them. More is known of their minor names and those of their great chiefs. Powhatan, Abishankanoff, Philip, Pontiac, Tecumseh, Black Hawk, than of any others except the Iroquois. Constant warfare depleted their numbers, and in the United States, after they had fought for the British 
In the War of 1812, they were deported to the West. In Canada, they were not removed, but were limited as to territory. See also Indians, comma, American. So this one doesn't say what their numbers were depleted to, but the 1909 did. So that seemed to be the only difference. The other differences were very, very minor. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. Welcome back. Uh, hope you enjoyed your break. I grabbed some water and, and some coffee. It is very, very cold right now. I know I keep complaining about the cold. I know it's winter. It is winter. And I decided that sometime in my future, I am going to spend January and February elsewhere. I just want to go somewhere warm for those two months until spring arrives. Um, I'm okay with being called a snowbird. I think that's cool. Totally love that name. Love to be a snowbird. I know one of my neighbors is a snowbird. So, and apparently he has a lot of fun. And uh, his son told me that it is in the 70s, wherever he is. He didn't tell me where he was. And I didn't ask. Um, that's a story for a never day. <laughs> but uh, the next five words that we have are all going to be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And that is Algonquin. Al Gore, Algorithm, Alguazel, and Algum. And number six is Algonquin, and it's properly Algomecan, and it means other ciders. And both spellings will be on my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, just select, again, Encyclopedia Challenge. And this was a once powerful Indian tribe along the Ottawa River and Lake Nipissing Canada, decimated by the Iroquois, some of them with other Indian waifs, took refuge along the upper lakes and assumed the name of Ottawa's, bringing forth the greatest Indian of history, the mighty Pontiac. Others kept their name and were protected by the French and mission villages. It was French missionaries who discovered almost at their first coming that the Algonquin language was a type of common, uh, was a type common to what is now called the Algonquian stock. The chief body of the remaining tribe numbers nearly 1,000 in villages of Quebec and Ontario. About 250 more are confederated with the Iroquois at Gibson, Ontario, and Lake of Two Mountains, Quebec. So there we go. And number seven, Al Gore, noun, the sense of coldness experienced at the onset of fever. Algid, or Algid, Adverb, chilled with cold, become cold. Okay, and number eight is algorithm. Noun, the art of computation, notation, and algebra. So that's algorithm, a very short definition for a long word. And entry number nine is alguazil, or alguazil, yeah, zil, or alguacel. And again, both of these spellings are on my website. And I just realized I spelled one of them wrong. So let me fix that real quick so you won't be confused. And this is a noun. And it's a general name in Spain from the, of the officers entrusted with the execution of justice. There are alguacils, mayors, who either inherit the office of executing justice in a town as a hereditary right belonging to their families 
or are chosen to the office by the municipality. Formerly, the name was also given to he... Oh, I think they're missing a T. So, to the... To the officers that executed the sentences or orders of tribunals, such as the Tribunal of the Inquisition, and of the various orders of knights, but usually under the name, it is understood the alguacils menores or ordinarios, that is to say the attendants or officers of the courts of justice, generals, the, generals of arms, bailiffs, in short, all the inferior offices of justice and police. And our last entry before break is algum. So algum, which is a noun, is a sandalwood, a tree, indigenous chiefly on the Malabar coast of India, whose wood is used both medicinally and as a perfume. The sandalum album, order sandalusia, the almug or algum trees of scripture are also referred to the pitoricor pus... Santalinus, or red sandal wood of India, order leguminosa. Okay. And before we go to break, I just want to let you know, um, sometime within this podcast, I'll let you know what I'm reading right now, and uh, and I'll tell a little bit about it. So it's exciting, it's uh, exciting to me, and I'm sure it'll be exciting to you. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. I certainly did. And our next five words um, are Alhagi, Alhama, Alhambra, Alhambra, comma, the, Alharan, El, El Grande. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm reading just yet. I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into it. Now, our next three entries are going to be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And then our 14th one is going to be from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Um, but I'll let you know that. Okay, so entry number 11. Alhagi. And it simply says sea mana. So we don't know what it is until we get to the word mana. And our 12th entry. And excuse my voice. I'm uh, just getting over a head cold, which I... Actually, gave myself. I promised I wasn't going to tell the story of how I gave it to myself, but totally my fault. My bad on that. I used um, a, a, a system to kind of clear everything out wrong. I didn't mean to use it wrong, um, but I'd already used it once, and I thought, hey, I know how to do it now. And I didn't, so ended up with a head cold. Suffice it to say, um, always follow the instructions. And if you get cocky and think you know how to do it, just double check yourself. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and move on to entry number 12, which is, I think I, I, I pronounced it Alhama. It's actually Alama. It's Alama. It's spelled Alhama, but it's Alhama. It's a town of Andalusia, Spain, province of Granada, 25 miles southwest from Granada. It's situated, is extremely picturesque, on the edge of a projecting rock overhanging a deep chasm of limestone hills, through which the river Marchin foams, with mountains in the background rising 8,000 feet. 
Vineyards and gardens mingled with the houses on the steep slopes add to the interest of the scene. It is a decayed town. Um, I don't know if it is now, but it was in 1909. Although its warm, sulfurous baths are still frequented by visitors in the beginning and end of summer. The Moors derived a large revenue from its baths. It was a famous fortress of the Moors, and its capture in 1482 prepared the way for that of Granada. There are still remains of the Moorish castle and town wall. There are ruins also of a Roman aqueduct. The principal bath still in use is a Moorish edifice, and a smaller one is supposed to be Roman. The town was thrown completely into ruins by an earthquake shock in 1884. Oh man. If you want to know more about the Moors, we did talk a lot about the Moors in our last podcast, so you may want to check out Episode 48, if you're interested in the Moors. Okay, entry number 13 is Alhambra. The fortress which forms a sort of Acropolis or citadel to the city of Granada, Spain, and in which stood the palace of the ancient Moorish kings of Granada. The name is a corruption of the Arabic Kal'at al-Amra, the Red Castle. It is surrounded by a strong wall, more than a mile in circuit, and studded with towers. The towers on the north wall, defended by nature, were used as residences connected with the palace. One of them contains the famous Hall of the Ambassadors. The remains of the Moorish Palace are called by the Spaniards the Casa Real. It was begun by Ibn Omar and continued by his successors from 1248 to 1348. The portions still standing are ranged from two oblong courts, one called the Court of the Fish Pond, the other the court of the lions. They consist of porticos, pillared halls, cool chambers, small gardens, fountains, mosaic pavements, etc. The lightness and elegance of the columns and arches and the richness of the ornamentation are unsurpassed. The coloring is but little altered by time. The most characteristic parts of the Casa Real have been reproduced in the Alhambra Court of the Crystal Palace at Sydenham, England, a great part of the ancient palace was removed to make way for the palace begun by Charles V, but never finished. It is long since any part of the Moorish palace was inhabited, but it is kept in a state of preservation as a work of art and as a memorial of the tragic legend of the Avern In 1890, September 15th, it was nearly destroyed by fire. And number 14 is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And it's Alhambra, the, or the Alhambra, by Washington Irving in 1832, revised, enlarged, and rearranged in 1852. This Spanish sketchbook grew out of the experiences and studies of Irving while an actual resident in the old royal palace of the Moors at Granada. There you go. Many of the 40 sketches have their foundation only in the author's fancy, but others are a veritable history. So that's pretty cool. I wanted to read that one um, because it is interesting that a a famous painter went and a famous artist went and sketched parts. Parts of the palace. All right. And let's move on uh, to entry number 15. And I lost my place already. There it is. And I know I pronounced this uh, or mispronounced this. It's Alorin or Alorin El Granada, or El Granda, El Granda. 
So to spell that, <laughs> go to theoaktreeattorneys.com, Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 49. It's uh, S1 forward slash E49, and it's in entry number 15, and it is definitely not pronounced as it is spelled. But for this one, we go back to the New, New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and it is a town of Granada, Spain, province of Malaga, 19 miles west of Malaga, on the north side of the Sierra de Mijos, and near the Fala, an affluent of the Guadalajara. It is well built, with a number of squares, wide, well-paved streets, and many fountains. There are remains of a Roman aqueduct and of an Arab fortification. Many of the inhabitants are employed in the quarries and mines of the vicinity. Population, 7,514. Okay, and with that, we will go to break, and we'll be back momentarily. And welcome back. Before we get into our next five words, I just wanted to uh, send up a reminder there. Uh, from the last podcast, the last podcast, uh, episode 48, I asked for any experiences that you've had with online dating, if you've had any experiences, uh, if you haven't had any experiences, why do you stay away from it? Um, as I mentioned, I tried signing up for it, um, got a few hits, and realized, I need off of here, I am not weird enough for online dating. Um, and it may just be the sites that I tried. I, I did try more than one site. I tried about three sites. And I'm just, you know, because I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if, if you've got a site that you really, really like, let me know. If you've got a site you really, really hate, let me know. You can hit me up at my email, mandyoaks at protonmail.com. Or go to theoaktreejourneys.com, select contact, and just fill out the little form there. I want to hear about your uh, online dating experiences, if you've had any. And again, if you haven't had any, why do you stay away from it? Uh, or if you're happily married. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's why I stay away from it. That's cool, too. Okay, our next five words are Ali, Ali, Alibaba, Ali Bay, Aliyah. Now, our first four, so 16 through 19, are all going to be from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So our first Ali, not uh, Muhammad Ali, <laughs> but certainly a, co a, son, a cousin and son-in-law of Muhammad. But Ali, the first of his converts, so the first of Muhammad's converts, and the bravest and most faithful of his adherents. Born around 600, died around 661. He married Fatima, the daughter of the prophet, but after the death of Muhammad in 632, his claims to the caliphate were set aside in favor successfully of Abu Bakr, Amar, and Othman. On the assassination of Othman in 656 AD, he became caliph, and after a series of struggles with his opponents, including Aisha, widow of Muhammad, finally lost his life by assassination at Kufa. A Mohammedan schism arose after his death and has produced two sects. One sect, called the Shiite, Shi Shiites, puts Ali on a level with Muhammad and does not acknowledge the three caliphs who preceded Ali. His burial place near Kufa is a great shrine of the Shiites. 
They are regarded as heretics by the other sect called Sunnites. The maxims and hymns of Ali are yet extant. See Caliph. Okay, and that was entry number 16. Let's go to entry number 17, which we have another Ali. And this one is Pasha of Janina, commonly styled Ali Pasha and known as, quote, the Lion of Janina. Born Tepelini, Albania in 1741, died 1822. He was the son of an Albanian chief who was deprived of his territories by rapacious neighbors. By his enterprise and want of scruple, he got possession of more than his father had lost and gained control of a large part of Albania, including Janina and the Porte. Government of the Turkish Empire sanctioned his holding with the title of Pasha. As a ruler, he displayed excellent qualities, putting an end to brigandage, building roads, and encouraging trade. He extended his sway by subduing the brave Suliites of Epirus, whom he conquered in 1803 after a three years' war. Aiming at independent sovereignty, he intrigued alternately with England, France, and Russia. Laterally, he was almost independent of the Porte, which at length determined to put an end to his power. And in 1820, Sultan Mahmud II pronounced his deposition. Ali resisted several pashas who were sent to carry out this decision, only surrendering at last in 1822 on receiving assurances that life and property should be granted him. Faith was not kept with him, however. He was killed and his head cut off and conveyed to Constantinople while his treasures were seized by the Porte. So I trusted the wrong people there. And entry number 18, Alibaba. So if you remember, if you're old enough to remember the uh, Aladdin um, cartoon by Disney, you know, there's Alibaba had them 40 thieves. Um, here's Alibaba, the principal figure in the famous Arabian Nights Entertainment tale of Alibaba and the 40 thieves. There we go. He overhears the thieves opening the door of their cavern by the use of the magic words, Open Sesame. He does the same in their absence and appropriates as much of their wealth as he can carry. Kasim, his brother, enters the cave later, but having, having forgotten the magic word and presently found by the... Okay, so he forgot the magic word. He was found by the robbers and killed. They make an attempt to slay Alibaba, but are defeated by the slave Morgiana, who first places chalk marks on the doors of other houses identical to that by which the thieves have planned to identify Alibaba's house, and who later pours boiling oil in the jars in which the robbers are hidden. Ow. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> and entry number 19. Again, we are still in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And if you forget which encyclopedia, I do have um, on the website the ones where we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So, Ali Bey, an Egyptian ruler born of Abkhazia in the Caucasus of 1728, died 1773. He was taken to Cairo and sold as a slave in boyhood, but having entered the force of the Mamelukes and attained the first dignity among them, he succeeded in making himself virtually governor of Egypt. He now refused the customary tribute to the Porte and coined money in his own name. 
1769, he took advantage of a war in which the port was then engaged with Russia to endeavor to add Syria and Palestine to his Egyptian dominion, and in this he had almost succeeded when the defection of his own adopted son, Mohammed Bey, drove him from Egypt. Joining his ally, Sheikh Deher, in Syria, he still pursued his plans of conquest with remarkable success, till in 1773 he was induced to make the attempt to recover Egypt with insufficient means. In a battle near Cairo, his army was completely defeated, and he himself taken prisoner, dying a few days afterward, either of his own wounds or by poison. So they don't know in this book. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. All right, and entry number 20. Uh, we do go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 19... Not 1920, sorry. 1909. And our 20th entry is Alia, town of Sicily, province of Palermo, 30 miles southeast from Palermo, picturesquely situated on the crest of a hill in the mountainous and craggy district near a torrent called the Fume Torto. Population in 1909 was 6,425. And before we get a break, uh, as promised, I was going to tell you what I'm reading now. And if you remember, uh, in one of our uh, previous podcasts, I don't remember which one right now, uh, we mentioned the Alexandrian Codex. Well, I've got... Uh, I went ahead and looked. I was really curious. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is, you know, if this is available. And so I looked it up and I found two books that I ordered. I received one right away. The other one is from India, I think. I didn't realize it was from India until after I had ordered it. That was just me and my excitement. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, excuse me. I want to get this one. But the one I got right away... Is called Codex Sinaiticus, the discovery, discovery of the world's oldest Bible. And it's actually about the discovery of the Codex. And it talks about the um, Alexandrian Codex and, and just different things. I've just read the introduction and I started on the discovery. So... This one is in English, and the reason I say that is because I accidentally bought the one um, from India in Greek. I didn't realize it was Greek, and apparently they were all in Greek. So, so there you go. But I wanted to know about the author who who discovered it. So this is um, what I'm reading right now, and it it just simply says Codex Sinaiticus, the discovery of the world's oldest Bible. Also includes the Mount Sinai manuscript of the Bible by the trustees of the British Museum. And when they say that it's included, it's, it is, but it isn't. It's just a photocopy, it's a real small photocopy. And so you won't be able to make out the individual words, even if you wanted to. Maybe with a, a magnifying glass, that, that would help. But I definitely need to learn Greek, because apparently I'm getting a book in Greek. I do have the resources to learn Greek. I just don't know if I've got the time. But that's uh, that's going to be next on my list later. So that is what I'm reading. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. 
and welcome back. Our next five entries are Alias, Alibod, Ali bin Abi Talib, Alibi, Alicante. And all of these are from the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So entry number 21 is not the TV show. Um, I did watch the TV show a few years ago. And it was actually pretty good. Uh, I didn't finish it because uh, I had school and other stuff to, to go on to. But I had a friend who, whenever it first came on, she said she used to uh, watch it, videotape it while she was watching it, and then go back and watch the videotape uh, before the next episode came on, just to kind of remind, remind her of what was uh, on before. So this was before streaming, before you could watch every single episode in one night, you actually had to wait the next week for the next episode. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Her passion in that show. Um, I was never really that passionate about it. Obviously, I had a lot of homework, a lot of papers to write. Um, whenever By the time I got involved in it, um, I don't even remember when it was on. Uh, in fact, I can look it up really quickly. I know it's streaming now, and I almost watched it before I did the podcast. I was like, no, I don't really have any time. <clears throat> okay, so it came out in 2001. And uh, had five seasons. I didn't really... Let's see, at that time... Yeah, I was in college at that time, but my attention wasn't really on Alias. Uh, my... My friend got me into Alias. Let's see, whenever I went back to college. So I don't remember how long ago that was. It's been a few years ago. But it was not at the time that it was playing. Uh, she had to get the DVDs. Uh, this was, again, before <laughs> before uh, a lot of things streamed. I think Netflix was streaming at that time. Um, but I don't remember if it was on Netflix. Or I, I don't remember. Anyway, I, I digressed a lot on that. I'm sorry about that. But Alias... It means otherwise. Noun, a false or assumed name in law, formerly a second writ of execution issued when the first has failed. So there we go. Okay, and short and sweet, unlike my story about the TV show. Okay, entry number two. I think I, I said Ali Bald. Uh, it's actually Ali Bo. Oh, and it's a person's name. I completely missed that. Alibo, comma, Louis. So Louis Alibo died 1836, July 11th, notorious for his attempt to murder King Louis Philippe. Or Louis Philippe. He was at the Revolution of July, quartermaster in the 15th Regiment of the Line, having been degraded subsequently for an accidental brawl in the streets of Strasbourg. He demanded his discharge in 1834 and went to live at Perpignan, and then at Barcelona, where having become a fanatical Republican, he returned to Paris with the determination to murder the king. A weariness of life had also seized him, so great that he thought of suicide. He fired at the king in 1836, June 25th, at the moment when driving through the gate of the... I can't really tell what that is, I think. Tuileries, he bowed to the National Guard as they presented arms, the ball passed close by the king's head. 
Being immediately seized, he regretted nothing but the failure of his attempt. After a short trial, he was guillotined. So, off with his head. And I'm going to fix that really quick. Um, let's make a note to fix this, so that way you'll know that this is a person's name. And there we go. And it is fixed. Our 23rd entry is Ali ben Abi Taleb, the first convert to Mohenianism and fourth caliph. Died 660. So, so far we've had the previous entry. We didn't have a date of birth, but the date of death. In this entry, we don't have a date of birth either, just the date of death, which was 660. He was the bravest and most faithful follower of the prophet whose daughter Fatima he married. Hmm. Didn't we just read about him? I think we did. I think we read about about him. Um, but uh, this is his full name. Being made caliph in the place of the murdered Othman, he was victorious over the rebels in 90 engagements. He took prisoner Aya Shah, the young widow of Muhammad, and his greatest enemy in the battle. The camel, so-called because Aisha appeared in the field riding on a camel. He was murdered by a fanatic and was buried near Kufa, where a monument was erected to him to which his votaries still go on pilgrimage and which caused the building of the city Medjed Ali. The religious sect formed by the followers of Ali called Shiites has spread extensively under that name in Persia and Tartary. The descendants of Ali and Fatima, called the Fatimites, although much persecuted by the Amiyads, have nevertheless ruled on the banks of the Nile and the Tagus in West Africa and in Syria. The best edition of the Proverbs or Maxim ascribed to Ali has been published by Fletcher, Ali's Hundred Proverbs, Arabian and Persian, in 1837. Ali's Divan, the most complete collection of his lyrical poems, mostly on religious subjects, appeared in 1840 at Bullock, near Cairo. So, I'm sorry about that. That is my bad. With not realizing, as I was typing up this list, that we had already done this. But, we got more information. And normally I would have combined the two and read from... The 1956 and the 1909 um, at the same time. But there we go. <laughs> and I believe the Ali. Let me just take a quick peek here. So the Ali that we. That's the same as this one. Was entry number 16. So entry number 16 and entry number 23. Same person. Um, one was just read in the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana, and then this one, number 23, the 1909 New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. Okay, so let's move on to number 24, and that is Alibi. <laughs> alibi noun. Everyone knows what an alibi is, right? Do you have your alibi tonight? I can't see you, so I don't know if you're really listening. So alibi noun, a law term, being elsewhere, being with another person in another place. Alibi is a defense resorted to in criminal prosecutions when the party accused in order to prove that he could not have committed the crime with which he is charged 
Tinder's evidence that he was in a different place at the time. When true, there could be no better proof of innocence, but as offering the readiest and most obvious opportunity for false evidence, it is regarded with suspicion. In the case of crimes, the place of committing which is immaterial, as for example the act of fabricating the plates, or of throwing off the spurious notes in a case of forgery. A proof of alibi is of no avail. And number 25, Alicata. And for, oh wait, no, I'm sorry, I'm skipping one. It's Alicante. So Alicante, I was like, wait a minute, I really spelled that wrong. I was looking up. Uh, but Alicante is a chief town of a province of the same name in Spain. One of the most considerable seaports of Spain. It is strongly fortified and is the staple place for the products of Valencia, especially soda, cotton and linen fabrics, ropes, corn, oil, silk, and the wine of its dark color. A good deal of this rough and the same time sweet wine is used to doctor thin clarets for the British market. In 1331, the town was besieged by the Moors and again by the French under Asfeld in 1709. In 1873, it was unsuccessfully bombarded by the Carthaginian insurgents. Population 50,142. The province of Alcante is, or Alcante is formed of parts of the old kingdoms of Valencia and Murcia. Population in 1900 was 470,149. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Before we get into our next five entries, I just want to say a quick thank you to four new listeners. Uh, thank you so much for joining me and uh, for discovering this podcast. I hope it helps you on your journey of learning. Also, uh, thank you to uh, Sarah, Tabitha, Tony, and Trish. Appreciate you listening. And uh, thank you again. So let's move on to our next five words. And... Uh, Oh, before I do, if you want uh, me to give you a shout out on this podcast, just uh, let me know. Uh, send me an email, mandyoaks at protonmail.com, or you can contact me at theoaktreejourneys.com and just go to my contact page and send me a line there. I'd love to hear from you, and let me know if you're listening. And, uh, oh, well, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> so our next five words are alicata, or lakata, Alice. Alice Maud Mary, and of course, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and last but not least, Allidade. And Allidade is a very interesting word. I can't wait till we get to it. So let's go ahead and begin with Alicata, or Licata, which is a town in Sicily, province of Gergenti, 26 miles southeast from Gergenti. I was looking to see if there was like a... <laughs> okay, no, okay. It is the most beautifully situated on the sea coast at the mouth of the Salsa, one of the largest rivers, if not the largest, in Sicily. Its buildings stretch along the shore and occupy the steep slope of the hill, which is crested by the great old fortress, now indeed of little strength, but of imposing appearance. On the brow of a hill to the west of the town is the dismantled castle of St. Angelo, said to occupy the site of that in which the tyrant Phalaris kept the brazen bowl, 
His celebrated in ooh, celebrated instrument of torture. It is generally believed to stand on the spot where the ancient Phoenetius was built, B.C. 280, by Phoenetius tyrant of Agrigentum after he had destroyed Gela, the inhabitants of which he transferred hither. The place and immediate neighborhood were the scene of some memorable battles in the wars between the Carthag Carthaginians and Sicilians, and between the Carthaginians. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying uh, that name. Um, and Romans. In the Middle Ages, it suffered severely from the depredations of Barbary corsairs. Its port is quite inferior, the sea being so shallow that only vessels of small size can approach the town. Larger vessels are compelled to anchor about a mile from the town and are loaded and unloaded by the aid of small craft. Yet it has considerable trade exporting corn, macaroni, and macaroni is just a fancy noodle, not macaroni and cheese. Fruit, almonds, pistachio nuts, sulfur, soda, and wines. Actually, macaroni just means fancy. Well, anyway, there's more than one. All right, population is 17,338. All right, and sorry, I started digressing again. I've had a lot of coffee to try to stay warm. And uh, so I'm like, la, la, la. And let's go to entry number 27. Now, for 27, 28, and 29, we'll, we will be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So, Alice is a city in Texas. It is not Alice from the uh, Resident Evil. I'll show you, know, Alice. Um, but Alice is a city in Texas, Jim Wells County seat, 40 miles west of Corpus Christi, altitude 209 feet, served by the Southern Pacific and the Texas-Mexican Railroads and by an airport. It is the chief trade center of a rich agricultural region which produces cattle, cotton, grain, fruits, vegetables, and dairy products. Oil production in the area is becoming increasingly important. Industries include oil-filled supply companies, cotton ginning, cottonseed oil milling, and beverage manufactories. There are excellent educational facilities. The town was laid out in 1886 at the junction of two early railroads. After a series of temporary names, it was called Alice. This is pretty cool. So the reason it was called Alice is because um, it was an honor for Alice Clayburg, owner of the King Ranch. So she owned King Ranch. It was incorporated as a city in 1910. Population in 1950 was 16,449. So there you go. Okay, and entry number 28, Alice Maud Mary, Grand Duchess of Hesse-Dermstadt and second daughter of Queen Victoria, born Buckingham Palace, London, England, April 25th, 1843, died December 14th, 1878. In 1872, she was married to Prince Louis of Hesse, who became Grand Duke of Hesse-Dermstadt in 1877. They had one son and four daughters. The fourth daughter, Alexandra Feodorvina married Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. Okay, and number 29 uh, is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, published in 1865. And I just felt like it would be remiss if I skipped over uh, this book, um, since it is a very well-known book. But it's uh, by Charles Ludwig Dodgson, pseudonym, pseudonym Lewis Carroll. 
grew out of a story which the author told the three little daughters of Henry George Liddell, one of them the original Alice, while boating on the Thames near Oxford. Its success led him to write Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There in 1871. Both are dream tales of exquisite nonsense. The earlier is the looser and more dulcetary, matching the incoherence of dreams and the inconsequential narrative processes of a child's mind. It is generally thought to be preferred by children. The later story has a definite structure following moves of a chess problem. It reiterates, however lightly, that we are such stuff as dreams are made on. And it employs frequently the motive of topsy-turvydom, everything in looking-glass land being, of course, the reverse of ordinary experience. Through Wonderland, like the looking-glass, appeals strong to adults as well as to children, yet the looking-glass, by reason of the traits just noted, is to the mature mind more openly suggestive of philosophy and satire. In the Red Queen's topsy-turvy remark, Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. Children see only an admirable fooling, while their elders perceive, besides a keen paradox upon the hustling society of today. It's actually a really good line. In the range of this double appeal, there is little to choose between the books. Wonderland excels, perhaps, in inadvention of personages, and incidents. The Duchess, the Cheshire Cat, the Mock Turtle, the Mad Tea Party, the Lobster Quadrille, and the Trial, the last often cited as an anticipation of the Dreyfus Affair. The Looking Glass probably excels in the richer and more sustained nonsense of its verses. Jabberwocky, the Walrus and the Carpenter, I sent a message to the fish, and Haddock's Eyes, but it can match its white knight and Humpty Dumpty against any of the characters in Wonderland. Both books abound in parody. The pr present generation may need a reminder that Father William first belonged to Southey, and that Wordworth's leech gatherer is the original of the old man on the gate. Both books abound in puns and verbal quips. The revised proverb, take care of the sense, and the sounds will take care of themselves, Wonderland, are household words. While human speech in general is the richer by Lumping, Frumious, Fravgis, Oofish, Chortle, and other portmanteau words of the Looking Glass. Though each volume thus has its excellences, the two merge in memory into a single Alice. The illustrations by John Tenniel have made the hard words and the strange creatures real. No artist ever shared more fully with the author the labor and the success of creation. Alice has been dramatized and has been translated into French and German, and Jabberwocky into Latin as well. Growing out of the author's delight in telling stories to children, Alice has remained to delight all the young in heart, has placed the sense of nonsense second only to the sense of humor, and has added permanently to the gaiety of nations. That's pretty cool. I love what it says about it. Um, I personally have only read uh, Disney's version when I was real little. Someone got me this giant book of Disney stories. Um, I didn't even realize it was an actual book. Um, until later. Uh, until I, well, actually, until I was an adult. I always thought it was some sort of weird Disney movie that I wasn't allowed to watch. or so, I don't remember. We didn't watch that many Disney movies. Um, but anyway, pretty cool. I think I may check it out. It's about time. Okay, and our last entry for the week 
Number 30, Ali Dad. Ali, yeah, Ali Dade. Noun. And this is a cool word. This is an interesting word. Uh, Jabberwocky is a pretty cool word, too. And in fact, speaking of int interesting words, before we get into this interesting word, are there any words out there that you wish were thrown out of the English language? Like, for instance, like. <laughs> like is just, you know, I, I use it as well. Um, but are there any words? I, 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 for instance, I do not like the word hangry. I don't think it should have ever been put in our dictionary. I'm very disappointed in it. To this day, I'm disappointed in it. But it, it just hits the ear just really with hangry. I mean, are, does that mean I'm a hanger? I, I don't understand hangry. I mean, I, I know what it means. I'm not stupid, but I'm well, not completely daft anyway. But that's just a word I don't like. Are there any words like that that you just don't like? Now, I've, I could think of quite a few. If I get enough responses, I might make a bonus podcast about words that just suck. I mean, there you go. They just suck. Um, or that we just don't like. So just let me know. Um, you can email me your word and why. If, if you want to tell me why, that would be perfect. That would be wonderful. Um, go to uh, theoaktreejourneys.com. Select contact. Or you can email me directly at mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And both are in the description of my podcast. Um, so, yeah, just let me know, and if I get enough responses, I will definitely uh, make a bonus podcast out of it. So, anyway, let's go to the word I find interesting this week, which is alidade, which is a difficult word for me to say. Noun, the index or ruler which moves about the center of an astrolabe or quadrant carrying these sights. So... It's from Latin, an optical instrument, and from Arabic, a sort of rule. So there we go. That is our very last entry. And again, if you have any words that you just wish were thrown out of the English language, or you just wish that didn't exist, uh, let me know. If they're not crude, uh, please don't send me crude ones. Um, if they're not crude, I will do a, a, a bonus podcast for them. Um, and before we go... Oh, excuse me. Before we go, I just want to remind you of our monthly quote by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Whatever you think you can do, or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. So again, whatever you think you can do, or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. And don't forget um, to also let me know about your adventures in the... Dating, online dating realm. Almost forgot. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, your adventures in online dating. So if you have any, uh, send those to me too. I'd love to hear about them. Uh, were, you too, were you not weird enough for online dating too? Or were you just weird enough to do it? Or were you just too weird for it? Just let me know. And I will see you next week. Have a wonderful, blessed week. And with that, I bid you adieu.